Grace to you and peace from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us through the power of the Word. As we look at the parable of the sower this morning, uh, we see the parable that is meant to teach us the saving power of the Word of God. As God in His grace opens our eyes and unstops our ears so that we may see and comprehend and hear and understand what brings us true everlasting salvation. As Jesus says to his disciples, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And this is the mystery of the gospel as God opens the eyes of sinners to know that Jesus is the Son of God who has come into this world to forgive sinners. And this secret of the kingdom of God is nothing other than the gospel that saves us. And really, it's not so secret. It's been proclaimed for over 2,000 years. It's been published and proclaimed to the ends of the earth. You can read and hear the gospel. You can find thousands of sermons that proclaim it and teach it. You can read the scriptures in your own language. Yet, to many, it is still a secret. And why? Because men, human beings, are fallen and sinful. And in that reality, they are spiritually blind and spiritually deaf. And it is only by the grace of Christ Jesus that we hear the gospel, believe in it, and are saved. Jesus makes this clear this morning as he quotes from Isaiah 6, the whole seeing that they may not see and hearing that they may not understand. As immediately after God calls Isaiah to be his prophet, as God says, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. He commands Isaiah to speak these words to the kingdom of Judah. He said, go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then Isaiah said, How long, O Lord? And the Lord said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in the land, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. And the holy seed is the stump. Do we hear what Isaiah has to do? As Isaiah is called to preach to the people of Judah, but God says that his preaching will not lead to immediate repentance, faith, and trust in God. Rather, the word of the Lord given to them will drive them into deeper rebellion and a greater hardness in their hearts. The word will not inflame with them the desire for God's mercy and love for them, but a deeper rejection of that mercy with their own sinful and rebellious hearts. And even though they reject this word from the Lord, Isaiah is called all the same to proclaim it. 
He's called to speak the word of the Lord to the people who are so hardened and resistant to God's word that they will never trust in it. And this rejection of the word will bring them to their destructive end as waves of God's wrath will come upon them. As the land will become a desolation so that only a tenth of the people remain and then that tenth will be destroyed so that only a remnant will be left. And he likens it to a stump of a tree that's been felled. And the tree is gone, it's burned up, it's consumed. Yet within that stump remains the righteous seed. And for us, we know that that righteous seed is. It's Christ. And in a sense, this is what the word of God does to us. As the people of Judah heard the word but did not heed its calling, the result was they were pruned. And this happens also in our hearts as we live as people who hear the word of God. Because we in our fallen nature think we have something to offer to the Lord. We we think we can bring him some sort of service or, or righteousness or something that would cause him to reward us. And that's what the people of Judah believed, as they were sons of Abraham, they were of the tribe of Judah, they had the temple, they had the king from David's royal lineage, and that really satisfied them. They were something, they thought that they were something, that God was going to reward and bless them simply because they had a birthright. They weren't those wicked heathens from the other nations. They were not those despicable northern tribes that had rebelled against the Lord. They were the tribe of Judah, and God was on their side. Yet they rejected his word. They ignored his promises. They lusted after other gods. They trusted in themselves and who they thought they were rather than the Lord who saves them. It was the same way with the Jews of Jesus' time. As he tells them in Luke chapter 16, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable to God. And isn't that often what happens in man's sinful heart? As we live in this world, we begin to think we're something. We lean upon our our own righteousness. We, We lean upon on how good we think we are, how deserving we think we are, as we trust in our own ability to get things done. Just as an example, think about how that would play out just for me as a father... I can see this happen to me from time to time as I, I, I look at what I do with my kids. I do what I'm supposed to do, right? I read the scriptures, I pray, I sing the psalms, I teach my family, I discipline my kids. And it's very easy to look at what I do and become so proud of my work. And I say to myself, look at all the wonderful little Christians I've made. Look at the little work that I've done to save my children. And in this I believe that I'm something when I'm nothing, nothing but a beggar. As Luther famously pins his last words saying, we are all beggars, this is true. But I believe myself to be something other than a beggar before God, and I start to think, okay, I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that, God owes me the results. And I start to lean on my own righteousness, my own vanity, my own pride, and I trust that that will save my children that that will build the church, that that will unite us all and bring us to heaven together. To that, St. Paul says, For if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And the truth is, I am nothing 
I am nothing but a sinner in the hands of a merciful God. I am but a servant of the one who saves, and I am not the Savior. I am a sinner who, left to my own devices, can only damn my children to hell, bring destruction to my household, ruin my life and my marriage, and bring wreck and havoc to God's people in the church. I cannot save anything. I need to be saved. And this is what the Word of God shows us. It tells us this tremendous truth that I am a sinner who is saved by a gracious and loving God. The word comes at us and, and cuts away all that's vain. It prunes us. It cuts away all the self-important, prideful, and dead things so that what remains in us is just a stump. But it's a holy stump. To say it in another way, God removes all our sinful pride by preaching the word of his law. He shows us our sins so clearly and so completely that we have to confess. When we read the scriptures, when we hear God's word, there is nothing good in us. We are pure sinners. And he makes it so that all that remains is Christ. The only good in me is Jesus. The only thing of eternal value that I bring to the table in this life is that the living Christ dwells in me and with me. And in his great love for me, he has forgiven my sins, and it is he who then works to save me and my family and this church and all those I love. It is he who brings life to sinners it is he who governs and rules and cares for the church. It is he who deserves credit for all the good that is done in my life. The rest is dross that needs to be burnt out in a crucible. As God opens our eyes to our sins and makes us see our Savior, we are made aware of the good that dwells within us is Jesus Christ alone. As it says in Hebrews, it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There's no hiding my sin before God and his word. There is only faith that trusts in the gospel to redeem poor sinners. And we see this play out in the parable. As the sower sows his seed, it lands on all sorts of soil, some on the path, some on the rocks, some among the thorns, and finally on good soil. And we know that the seeds that fall on the path are devoured by birds. The seeds on the rock is scorched because it has no root and moisture. The seeds among the thorns, they're choked out by the other plants. And as we look at these first three examples of the preaching of God's word, they result in unbelief. The seed is God's word, and the soil is those who hear it. And the seeds upon the path represent those who hear the word, but they're already hardened to it. As Satan snatches the word from their hearts, they, they hear what God's word says about creation and sin and grace and the love of Christ. 
They just don't see how it could be of any use to them. They don't believe it. They've already built their lives around the lies of the devil that the world propagates. We see this everywhere as we... The world simply doesn't see the need for a gospel because the world thrives on all the false gospels that it clings to of scientism or government or sex or, or wealth or pride or pleasure or whatever I want to identify myself as. A savior for sinners has no place in all of that. And so the seed of the word is immediately devoured. And then we have the seed that falls upon the rocks, and that's, that's always a little bit more tragic. It's those who hear and believe, they confess the faith, but then they're faced with maybe struggles or sorrows or sufferings in this life. And these things test their faith. And since the soil is so shallow and they're not rooted in God's word, their faith in the Lord withers away. As the word calls us to faith in the love of God, yet when sorrows come, the devil whispers his little lies into our hearts and says, Oh, how can he love you? You have sickness, you have sadness, you have pain, you have poverty. You suffer, you see death, you mourn loss. God can't be good. And if he is, you must be too bad for him to love. And in time... People see these struggles, and they see them as a reason rather not to appeal to God's mercy, fall on their knees, and trust that he cares for them as he says and promises he does. But they see it as a reason to despise God and view him as an unloving and cruel monster. And rather than their struggles, driving them deeper and deeper into the gospel of the God who loves them, has mercy on them, saves them, they flee and run the other way. And then there's the seed that falls upon the thorns. They are those who hear and believe, but then are tempted away by the promises of an easier and more pleasurable earthly life. This is the person who rejects his faith in Christ because it will get in the way of everything that he wants. It's the man who desperately wants to make more money, get a promotion at work, and he decides that it's too time-consuming to go to church because he needs to work those weekends. And he doesn't want to be identified as a Christian anyway because that goes against the policies of human resources. And so better stay on the good side of my employer. It's the college student who wants to fit in and make good grades. And so he mocks the faith he once held dear so that he can be deemed acceptable by his peers and his professors. Or maybe it's simply the person who was raised in the church but found that they have way more fun things to do in life without all the obstacles of faith and devotion that stand in the way. I can have more fun. I can have more pleasure. I can do whatever I want. And so these weeds grow up around the believer and eventually consume their life and their faith, and all the faith is left is withered and gone. All of these are examples of saving faith either being rejected or lost because the Word of God did not have a preeminent place in people's life. The Word was not front and center. These three soils are examples of people placing hope and confidence in something other than the gospel of Christ. As the lies of the devil 
and the vanity of this life often make us blind and deaf to what God's Word promises. And it's not because God stops preaching it, but because we simply refuse to hear it. But the Word is what saves us. St. Paul says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of Christ. The Word of Christ is what makes us believers. And if the go- it is the gospel that is preached, taught, and read to and by sinners that makes us into Christians. As St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. The gospel saves. And if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the Scriptures. What does Paul want the people to know? Christ died for sinners. And the word that Paul preached brought forth saving life and saving faith and brought sinners to repentance. And when the word is silenced, when it's drowned out, all that faith shrivels away. And this is why we need to hear the gospel of Christ over and over again. There's an error that many Christians embrace as they think, oh, I've heard the gospel and I'm saved, but now it's time for me to get to work at living a good life for God. I don't need to hear the gospel anymore, but I need to be told what to do. And that's so far from the truth. Our sinful hearts are are quick to forget. They're easily deceived. We're very distractible. The gospel is often drowned out by the noise of this life, and our sinful hearts often find different messages to cling to in the same way that I need to tell my wife and my children that I love them regularly because they might be convinced at some point by some circumstance or some failure on my part that I don't. In the same way, we need to hear the gospel because we are weak and we're forgetful and we need to hear that Christ has loved us poor sinners. We need to hear that Christ is crucified for us. We desperately need it. Your saving faith can be set aside for your own destruction. There's really no limit to how much harm our sinful flesh can do to us. The flesh needs to be put to death by the message of the cross of Christ that forgives sins. Because when you hear the gospel, The Spirit of God puts your sinful flesh to death by forgiving your sins. He robs the devil of his power. He points out everything that is vain in our lives, and he says, this, this is your treasure. This is your life. And that's what brings us to the good soil. This is the soil that receives the good seed so that it springs up with deep roots and bears plentiful fruit. People hear the word of God and believe it. They believe their entire lives and live piously and faithfully until the Lord calls them to their heavenly rest. And we we see that example in the text, and we might say, yes, I'm that good soil. I'm a believer. I'm in the church. I read my Bible. I am good. In the gospel of Christ, that is true. Jesus has forgiven all your sins. You have the righteousness that is received by faith in the gospel. If you believe Jesus died for you, you are saved. But I would also remind you of the words that we hear from St. Paul. We heard them last week. He says, therefore, if anyone thinks that he stands, he must take heed, lest he fall. Your saving faith 
your reception of the gospel, your continued repentance, and your life before God, they are all given by His grace. Remember what Jesus says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Note that Jesus doesn't say, aha, you've cracked the code, you've found it out. And he doesn't say, now, now, my dear disciples, you've earned the right to know this. No, he says to you it has been given. It's a gift of grace. Your faith in the gospel of Christ is a gift. It's not as if the good soil tilled itself so that the seed could take root. The good soil has been made good by the sower of the seed. Good soil left to itself can become hard. Frost can drive up rocks. Thorns can come up. And it's only by the grace of God that we do not become bad and corrupted soils by which faith and life wither and waste away. And that means we must remember that we are sinners who need the grace of Christ. We need to hear the gospel. We need for our sins to be forgiven. It is the forgiveness of sins that saves us, and this is why St. Paul boldly declares, for Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so we preach Christ crucified. You know, I can preach exclusively the Ten Commandments of God every moment of my life, but without the gospel of Christ dying for sinners, not one single person can be saved. All I will do is create hypocrites. The law of God, as we sang at the beginning of our service, is good and wise, and we should love it, we should cherish it, and we should strive to keep it in our lives. The commandments are there for you to behold and keep. They are there to teach you what God would have you do in your life. But they do not save you. They can only reveal that your sinful condition is worse than you thought. But the gospel, that sweet forgiveness of sins, that makes you righteous and holy before God. The gospel of forgiveness is our only hope as we stand before the living God who judges sinners. It is only when the gospel of Christ dying and rising to save sinners is front and center that faith survives and thrives. The fruits of true repentance, enduring hope, patient cross-bearing, Christian love and charity, and the pious joy, those spring forth through the preaching of the gospel. So, my dear friends, I encourage you, continue to hear the gospel. Place that gospel before your very eyes Cherish it in your heart. Hear the word of God. Keep coming to church. Call your friends who have been missing. Invite them to come back. Attend Bible class. Study the scriptures in your home. Read the word. Remember the kingdom of Judah that Isaiah was called to preach to. Yes, it fell on deaf ears. But... As we see how seeing that they would not see and hearing they could not understand. God later commands Isaiah to preach something else. As he says in our Old Testament lesson, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, 
but it shall accomplish that which I propose, and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. God's word acts. God's word does what God intends it to do. The word of God will create and sustain faith. The gospel does save. It does have the power to make sinners into righteous ones. It does have the power to take lost and condemned people who are hardened to Christ. Turn and believe and be brought to the life and light of Jesus. God does this for us. And by his grace, we have heard it and we believe it as he delivers it to us in his holy word. So keep hearing the word. Keep growing in the word. It will bring you life. Let us pray. Father, we praise you for sending your word into the world so that we may know you and your gift of salvation. Help us to hold fast to the word that saving faith may endure until you call us out of this valley of sorrow and into everlasting life. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith to life everlasting. Live in Christ's peace. Amen. We rise.